This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' adventurous book. James calls for help and the shattering crash of the revolver shot carries a Tarzan and Clayton standing face to face in the jungle. Never! Tarzan seizes Clayton and swings him to his shoulders. Clayton struggles futilely and then stops. Surely this man who has rescued him from the leopard can mean him no harm. Tarzan springs into the lower branches of a great tree. He grips a trailing vine and in spite of his double burden, swings into the lower terrace of the forest. Up, up he goes into the bending, swaying branches of the higher terrace. His sure eye and practiced hands carry them with incredible speed through the maze of interwoven vines and branches. Faster and faster they speed toward the hut. Now the foliage is less dense. Tarzan's penetrating gaze sees Sabre, crouched, ready to hurl her bulk at the frail lattice window of the hut. She screams! The light falls give under her hurtling weight. Tarzan knows the lattice will not withstand many such shocks. He leaps into space, grips a sturdy vine, a dizzy, flashing rock. He lets go, grips the lower branch. It bends. Again, he lets go. Down, down he drops. He disappears into a deep well of tree fern and bamboo. Spinning, swinging downward from branch to vine, he plunges toward the jungle floor. Tarzan's feet touch the ground. Satan flies to his back. Together they race toward the hut, clearing the intervening ground with lightning speed. They bore leap. The last bar snaps. The great yellow head and four paws are inside the hut. Tarzan covers the last few feet with a flying leap. He seizes Sabor by the tail, twists, flings his body back, feet braced against the hut, wheels with all his mighty strength. Satan travels to the trying to help. Oh, my God! Oh, no! 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 O
disabled. The English would pass up the sound to each man's orders. Sabers clawing, fighting to force her way into the window. Well, out of range, she let go her clutch on the sill, the twist, and pounced upon the enemy behind us. Tarzan, let's go! With the speed of a striking cobra, he launches himself full on the infuriated beast. Back, like lightning, his arm and pressure for the first thing. He takes his feet into Sabers' loins. Tarzan's triceps swell. Back, back, inch by inch, he pulls the funny twisting head. Sabers throws himself on her side, trashing, tearing. Her working claws barely miss Clayton as he eats the side. Wolverine Philander breaks through the brush border in the jungle. One glance through the doors and spiders with Sabre. She starts to run towards them. Sabre twists her head. The snapping, foaming jaws fight against the arm of steely muscle about her throat. Tarzan tries to get his knife. Sabre springs to her feet. She loops into the air. Harder and harder, Tarzan pulls the flashing head. Now he has his knife. Back. Back, she forces. It was straining neck. The knife fighters up. Down. Again and again, the gleaming blade rises and falls. Plunges deep into Sabre's unprotected side. Slowly. The lioness crumples to the ground. Tarzan leaps aside, sets his foot on Sabor's neck, raises his face to the sky. The victory cry of the bull ape that has made his kill echoes and re-echoes through the jungle. Tarzan glances once at Clayton, reaches for a low-hanging branch, and swings himself into the tree. Jane! Jane, are you hurt? Oh, my goodness. 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 Oh, for the moment I thought it had gone away, the next thing I knew, its terrible yellow eyes were glaring at me from the window. Oh, for hours it seemed as though I couldn't move. Then I remembered the revolver. I shot him. Yes, Jane, we heard the shot. You had came from the hut and, well, you know the rest. The most amazing exhibition I have ever witnessed. Philander and I arrived precisely at the moment when, when the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the uh, pagan person leapt upon the back of the lion. Such such astounding agility. He saved me only a few moments before we heard Jane shot. I was attacked by a leopard, but just as the beast was about to do you think that he's Tarzan of the Apes? Tarzan of the Apes? Oh, no. No, I don't believe he can be. Cecil Scott to him, but he doesn't speak English. Tarzan can read and write English, we know, because of the warning he sent to the door of the hut. But Cecil, this man did speak to you in some strange tongue. Ah, you say he spoke to Cecil? Uh, yes. He shouted something to me while he was fighting with the lion. Exactly. It proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that he, as I have never doubted, has had contact with other humans. Now, Clayton, what sort of sound did he shout to you? Well, it... <laughs> By Jove, I'm dashed if I can remember. Did he make any such sound as laugh? Or perhaps laugh? No. No, I remember no such sound. Why? Sir Richard Paget has worked out 320 primitive roots from which all Aryan language is derived. Uh, the, uh, now, uh, the sound, that, laugh, laugh, the dropping of the tongue and pressing of the tongue against the teeth, uh, signifies laugh, to lift. I thought, perhaps, 
If he lifted you or wished to lift something, he might have said, Nah. No, I'm sure there was no such sound. She did shout something, as near as I can recall, which sounded like cow, uh, bummed. There was no L sound? You're quite sure? Of course, Professor, in the excitement, I could not really qualify as a scientific observer. Uh, no, of course not, of, of course not. Uh, still, I wish you had been able to retain some definite syllabic context. Perhaps a last sound. Well, still, Daddy, it's evident the man has some sort of rational language, even if he could not convey his thought to Cecil. Uh, no doubt of it, Jane, no doubt of it. Uh, uh, the mere fact that Clayton recognized the shout as some attempt to convey information or direction... My thought exactly. Then the fact would show that the man is social, tribal. Well, well it's getting frightfully cold out here. Let's go inside the hut. And Cecil... Uh, yes, Jane? I think before any of us tries to sleep here, after the experience we've just had, we ought to get some sort of that window barred and some sort of way that will, that will prevent anything like this happening again. I thoroughly agree. And tonight it will be fixed. Well, thank you, Cecil. Come, give me a hand, Professor. Let's move this carcass away from the hut. Uh, yes, uh, perhaps uh, we might as well. Uh, uh, bless me. <laughs> we two cannot even find it. Yet the man who killed it held it with one arm. Astounding. Uh, don't bother moving that. Be gone in the morning. The jackals, you know. Why, oh, yes, of course. How silly of me. Captain Philander, it was unnatural. If I may be permitted the expression, a, a, a most natural thought. Yeah, of course. I realize that Jane has been through a harrowing experience and so on, but do you suppose uh, uh, perhaps we, we might, uh, we might, uh, well, in short, are we to have dinner? Really, Philander, that is quite a good suggestion. Uh, now, now that you broke the subject, you know, I feel that I myself could do with something to justify the inner man. I really hate to say anything to Jane. Uh, it is uh, uh, rather, uh, uh, isn't it? <laughs> However, it will take her mind off the excitement. Uh, yes, I feel we should do her in some manner domestic. Then, with your approval, Professor... Let us enter the hut. Uh, very well. Uh, uh, Jane. Jane, my dear. Daddy. Uh, 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 Jane, my love. Uh, uh, could you prepare a, uh, a nice provision? Uh, in other words, something to eat? The light from the cabin streams across the clearing, cutting the jungle into strips of black and silver. Animal trails... Mere breaks in the brush by bay now loom like yawning caverns in their inky blackness. From afar off, the harsh, rasping laugh of a hyena tells that the scavenger of the jungle has found some undevoured kill. One by one, the stars pierce the sable sky. The young moon, slender as a silver thread, glints through the sparse tops of the alleys. Sleeping monkeys open and close their eyes as Tarzan leisurely brushes his way through the branches toward the hut. Just as the ape, which for sheer joy of living, swings by the hour from branch to branch, so Tarzan, fed and rested, drops to the light-flooded clearing at the hut. Cautiously, he approaches the window, looks inside. With quickened pulse, entranced, he watches the white 
king he had rescued earlier in the day, seated at the table, his table. He longs to speak to her, but dares not, convinced that, like the men, she will not understand him. Jane Porter finishes the letter she's been writing to her friend, rises, and puts out the light. Patiently, Tarzan waits until his keen ears tell him that all movement within the hut has ceased for the night. Cautiously, he moves closer to the window. He hears the deep, regular breathing which denotes sleep. Slowly, carefully, he passes his hand through the broken lattice, takes the letter from the table. Quietly, he moves back, folds the paper, places it in his quiver with his arrows, and melts into the jungle shadows while the hyena creeps forward to the dead body of Sailor. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot, on surprises, and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude, Calabunga, to the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Browsers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F E N I X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it? You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Jane Porter's letter. After hours of study, he has at last found a resemblance between the bugs of his picture book and the girl's handwriting. He shakes his head. The contents of the letter baffles him. He can read it, but all that it means to him is that her name is J-A-N-E. And though he cannot express it in sound, he feels an association, a kinship, a bond, a something that was not there before. Arzan folds the letter carefully, places it in the bottom of his quiver, and rises to his feet. He faces that red disc that is the setting sun. All about him, seen and unseen, the beasts of the jungle, Numa the lion, Tantor the elephant, even the little mongoose, all, great and small, are facing the west. 
There, skinning the mountain that shadows the equator, is that which all the beasts of the jungle worship, the setting sun. Tarzan watches the deep greens fade to purple, blend again into deeper blue, and then, lost in the sky, the snow cap sparkles with reflected gold. We find Jane Porter and Clayton watching the same sunset. What a perfectly gorgeous sunset. Daddy, Mr. Fernando. Why don't you join Cecil and me outside the hut? It's so nice and cool after the heat of the day, and the sunset is so beautiful on the sea. A very excellent suggestion, Jane. But don't you think I'd better get you something to put over your shoulder? The tropic evening is as dangerous as it is magnificent. Strange, isn't it? That world, the jungle, everything here that is so beautiful should be so, so terrifying, so dangerous. But that, my dear, is life, which, like the toad, ugly and venomous, wears yet a precious jewel in its head. And this, our life, exempt from public haunts, finds tongues in trees, books in the running brook, sermons in stone, and good in everything. Ah, my dear Clayton, it's so refreshing to find in an army man an acquaintanceship with the immortal bard of Avery. Possibly Shakespeare found books in the running brook. But you, Daddy, require something much drier than a brook. I believe, Professor, if we only rescued our chessmen with which to beguile our evenings, you and I would find the setting perfect. Oh, you too. If you were interested in the beauties of our surroundings, oh, but no. Nothing appeals to you unless it is wrinkled with age. Oh, come, come, my dear. Never mind, Daddy. I was only teasing you. Oh, by Joe. What's the matter, Cecil? I completely forgot to look at our beacon today. Monkeys or other animals might come upon it and drag away the wood. But it's cost me a fall back to gather and pile there. I'll just jog along and look it over. The dark is coming on, Cecil. Uh, couldn't you leave it till morning? I'd rather not. It's one of my duties, and I'll feel better if I look after it tonight. I'll come along with you, Cecil. I feel a little bit exercise. Oh, good. Uh, we shall be lost. Uh, come along, then. Tarzan sees the figures of Clayton and Jane moving up the beach toward the headland. The setting sun dips over the horizon, and the long, tapering shadows of the jungle cast a mellow twilight across the clearing toward the beach. Tarzan wonders where the humans can be going at such an hour. Usually, they lock themselves into their cabin at sunset. Curious, he swings himself along the upper reaches of the gigantic jungle trees, lazily, almost carelessly. To Tarzan, who covers many miles an hour through the trees, the white man and woman below move at the pace of tiny beetles. The figures come to a stop before a pile of dry wood heaped upon a promontory which looks out to sea. Tarzan drops swiftly, noiselessly, easily to the lower branches in order to gaze more clearly at that white she to whom he's so strongly attracted. Blood calls to blood. Tarzan at this moment would give almost anything to drop from his perch, boldly walk out and talk to these, his own kind. A shyness overcomes him. He hears Jane's questioning voice, Clayton's answers, and inhibitions born of contact with the wild bid him remain hidden from those he cannot understand. I think you did a wonderful job in making it settle. No, it wasn't anything. Only wanted a bit of work in the doing. Look across that water. Thousands of miles of it. Oh, Tessel, do you think that any ship will ever, ever come for Now, look here, Jane. 
You've got to keep your mind on other things. You can't be longing and yearning for something like that without going a bit balmy, you know. All right, Cecil. I won't think of it anymore. There are wonderful things right here to absorb, aren't you? Wonderful. And the most wonderful thing of all is that white man from the forest. Do you know, I can't for the life of me understand what a white man can be doing off here in the midst of the African jungle. Do you suppose he might be Tarzan of the Apes? Mm, I don't know. It may be possible. Yes, the man who saved us from the animals doesn't speak English. And we know that Tarzan of the Apes does because of the moat we found pinned to the door. Mm, well, well, it's beyond me. What's that thing? I, I don't know. I've heard native tongues in other parts of the world. That sound isn't like anything I've ever heard. Oh, Tepper, it frightens me. Oh, sure. I don't suppose it's anything to be frightened of, really. Uh, come along. I'll race you back to the hut. Tarzan hears the weird, compelling throb of the dum-dum. He looks down at Jane Porter and Clayton, but his eyes see only the huge earth and drum far off in the clearing sacred to the great apes, the sacrificial altar of his tribe. Now he's torn between two desires. With heart it is, though he knows it not that calls to him to stay and watch this fascinating she. But all the background of years calls out to him to join his tribe in this fair dance of victory. He starts after Jane and Clayton. The rhythm of the drum changes. He stops, hesitates. Looks again at the two below him. The throbbing of the drum pulses in his blood as he turns toward the sound. Swings into the leafy trail that leads to the dum-dum. Down in the hut by the shore, Professor Porter and Philander, awaiting James and Clayton's return, discuss the events of the past few days. I, I have been uh, meaning to speak of it for some time, Mr. Philander, uh, but we've so seldom been alone since the day the lion... Quite so, Professor Porter. Quite so. Uh, I wish to speak to you concerning the, the skeletal remains of... Uh, of Lord and Lady Greystoke? Yes, yes, I understand. Uh, and now, Mr. Philander, I beg of you, please check this irritating propensity for jumping at conclusions. It was not of the mere mature beings that I wished to speak, but of the... Uh, uh, the baby skeleton, Professor? Uh, quite so. Uh, you will doubtless recall that I brought to your attention at the time the baby skull. You did, Professor. And I gave my opinion. And I give it again. That the skull was simian. One of the anthropoidal apes. Uh, that coincides perfectly with my own opinion, my dear Philander. I, I wish to caution you, however, uh, lest you let make some incautious remarks before Jane and Clayton, I feel that it would only unnecessarily disturb their minds to let them into the secret. Don't worry, Professor. No unguarded remark of mine shall betray it. Philander, uh, do you notice some sort of drumming noise? Some, uh, yes. Do you notice it too, Professor? I notice it, of course I notice. I notice everything. Uh, I've heard it for the last ten minutes. I didn't like to say anything about it. I, I feared it was one of my old headaches starting again. Hello, the hut. Hello. Hear the drum? Ah, yes, yes. Uh, Philander and I were just remarking about them. Perhaps you can explain such phenomena. No, I'm afraid not. Weird, isn't it? We heard them start. Do you suppose some black naked tribe to be a clue to us? Oh, no, 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 no. We'd have had some windows before now. Well, uh, at any rate, I think we'd better go inside. Deep in the almost impenetrable fastness of the jungle, the great apes circle in mad confusion, their earth and drum. 
From out that hollow mouth comes the death dropping that penetrates to the uttermost corners of the wilderness. After and after, leaping, snapping, gyrating in fearful contortions, the apes pause in their dizzy circling to beat with short sticks upon the drum-like mound. The female apes and their offspring swaying back and forth to the uncanny rhythm, they open circle about the mountain's bulls. Leaping higher than any, his broad, wet, freak body gleaming in the moonlight, his paws and pounding in and out and circling, he comes upon a brood of a Something may have happened to White She. He returns to the hut. Quietly, with cat-like tread, he creeps to the lattice. Tests it. Well within the shadow, he moves to the door. Cautiously lifts the latch. The door holds. Satisfied that those within are safe. Tarzan lifts himself into the trees. Curls himself in a moss-grown crotch. And falls asleep. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' amazing book. The jungle dawn flames into another day. Tarzan waits and stirs. He stands up, raises his arms high above his head. He gazes about him. All around the waking animals yawn and stretch. Little birds try preliminary flight. Monkeys scamper about in sheer joy at being alive. Off to the edge of the brush, he sees his top of snake unwind his sinuous length and glide off into the tall grasses in search of a fat peccary or cheetah cub. Far below and to the left, Tantor the elephant, Tarzan's friend, sedately makes his way along the trail. Tantor is going to bathe himself in the cool waters of the pool. Tarzan reaches up, swings himself off into the upper terrace. Rapidly, he overtakes Tantor. He calls on his friend to wait. Tantor hears and lifting his trunk, trumpets a greeting to Tarzan. Dropping hand over hand down the familiar vines, Tarzan drops to the broad back of the mammoth beast. Tarzan greets Tantor, seats himself behind the flapping ears, and together they wend their way to the water. At the little hut in the clearing, 
Professor Porter and his friends have arisen from their slumbers. Breakfast is almost over. Just drop more coffee, if you please, Jane. <laughs> Your appetite certainly speaks well for my cooking settle. <laughs> this out of doors air does make food taste good. Out of doors air. Indeed, Philander. Although I know that you are a well-educated man, I am sometimes perfectly aghast at your phraseology. Mr. Philander probably means that living in the open gives one an appetite, Daddy. Exactly, Jane. Then he should choose his mediums of expression with more meticulous scholasticism. Well, you understood me, Professor. Uh, but that's not the point, not the point at all. In source communication, whether by vocal or manual signs, is precise in interpretation. Daddy. Eh, eh, oh, uh, oh, thank you. Thank you, my lover. I believe I will take some more bacon. Cecil, what are you worrying about? You seem so thoughtful. What are you thinking about? Well, to be frank with you, I've been wondering about my uncle, John Clayton. Lord Wilson. Yes, Cecil, I've been wondering. Uh, one cannot but help to speculate... Uh, our finding Lord and Lady Grace Stokes' diary here. Bless my soul, how stupid of me. Uh, why did I not think of this before? Go ahead, yes, Professor, go ahead. Uh, what, uh, what was that you said, Philander? I didn't say anything. You did. You said you'd thought of something. Ah, yes. Uh, tell me, Clayton. Uh, you think uh, Grace Stokes, uh, Stokes' diary was kept up for time of the time of his demise? Presumably so. Of course, one cannot be sure. Uh, naturally, naturally. Well, I thought there might be some entry that might disclose our approximate longitude and latitude. Well, if there only were, but I've already looked very closely. I'm sorry, Professor. Poor Grace Stokes seems to have had no more idea of his whereabouts than do we. Uh, but uh, surely Grace Stokes Stoke knew where he was going. And so did we, Daddy. But that doesn't help us now. Uh, true, true, but I, I, I would have thought that from the last reading of the sun, taken by the ship's officers, uh, would... Uh, don't uh, forget, Daddy, that their crew mutinied just as ours did, and that possibly to the last there were no readings. Yes, yes, most regrettable. Most regrettable. If only I had devoted some of my time to the study of navigation, or even astronomical mathematics, so much of my leisure time could have been devoted to other subjects. On, the, on the off chance that you might at some future time be shipwrecked, or marooned, or cast upon a desert shore. That, that, Philander, such self-condemnation displays a very fine spirit, but with somewhat unnecessary morbidness. Incidentally, Daddy, now seems as good a time as any to ask for an explanation. Uh, yes, my dear, yes. Uh, explanation of what? Why, you told me we were going on an archaeological excavating survey, when in truth, you were on a hunt for buried treasure. Ah, well, that, that my dear, is a, a somewhat lengthy... Uh, uh, and don't forget, Jane, had you not thrown the map of the treasure overboard, we should know where we are because the latitude and longitude were marked on that map. <laughs> really? Oh, that's a very brilliant defense, Professor. But with one flaw, if Jane had not thrown the map overboard, we would not be anywhere. Except at the bottom of the sea. Quite right, Clayton. Jane saved our lives. And you, Professor Archimedes Q. Porter, I'm surprised at you. Defending yourself by means of legal trickery. Eh, eh, eh. That of bringing an irrelevant accusation. Uh, uh, the result, Jane, would have been the same. The finding of the treasure would have financed the archaeological survey. Sort of the house of just built idea. 
Well, personally, I'd be very much surprised if there is such a treasure. Ah, now, now, Jane. Uh, you must not talk in such derogatory terms of my very good friend, uh, 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 the name escapes me for the moment. Uh, oh, oh, yes, yes, a bookseller in uh, uh, Philadelphia. <laughs> you mean the stamp collector in Baltimore? Ah, yes, yes, of course. Uh, but anyway, he's a very good friend, I assure you. Uh, otherwise, he would never have trusted me with the map. <laughs> but you paid a thousand dollars for that map, Daddy. Uh, Jane, you grieve me deeply, such such a paucity of confidence in your father. Uh, why don't you say something, Philander? Well, from internal evidence, uh, I am convinced <laughs> now, really. Oh, no, Mr. Philander. That's dad speech. By the way, our supply of canned meat is getting awfully low. Well, suppose I take a rifle and do a little shooting, what? Ah, uh, uh, yes, Clayton, yes. Uh, perhaps some uh, nice, juicy capons. Ah, delightful. Well, I was hardly thinking of Kavon, but I thought perhaps some boar or at a venture a young deer. Shall I go along, Clayton, uh, as as beater, I believe it's called? Don't you hunters always have one? Well, frightfully decent of you and all that, but I fancy not. You understand, uh, scare the game, that sort of thing, you know. That's true, I might. <laughs> Very well, then. I shall remain here. <laughs> and Well, what shall I do? <laughs> You can wash the dishes, Mr. Philander. Uh, yes, and there's a bit of the back wall that needs chinking. I found a deposit of clay that will do the trick. It's down by the stream. Uh, come along, if you like, and I'll show it to you on the way. Uh, yes. All right. Delighted. <laughs> well, Be careful, Cecil. I think this rifle is all... Yes, it's fine. Uh, well, cheerio. I'll be right back. Down at the water hole, Tarzan lies flat on the muddy edge, face in the water, sucking up in great draughts his morning drink. <coughs> Majestically, his friend Tantor, the elephant, stands beside him, alternately drinking and spraying the cool water over his gray hide with his sinuous trunk. Tarzan flashes the clear water over his lithe form and then springs erect and skirting the edge of the pool, strides to the forest fringe. Springing upward and swinging his way through the trees, he leisurely makes his way along the ape trail that leads to the beach and his hut. He stops. What was that? No beast of the jungle makes such a noise when breaking cover. That breaking of twigs, that trampling of leaves is made by a... M-A-N. Quickly, Tarzan thrusts aside the screening leaves. He looks down a shimmering, dancing shaft of sunlight cutting its way between two giant trees, and there in the cleared space at the crossing of the trails stands Clayton. The stick that makes the big noise, his rifle, is at the ready as he peers intently at what other boar, half hidden in the gloom of the matted undergrowth. Clayton raises the rifle. The shot plows through the infuriated brute's shoulder as it charges. Clayton pulls back the rifle boot. The ejector jams. The empty shell hangs in the breach. The Englishman grips the rifle by the barrel. He swings. Hits Horta in the face. Eyes are gleam, head lowered, dripping, trust, bad. Again, Horta charges. Clayton catches his foot in a trailing vine. He stumbles. The boar's bloodshot eyes staring straight ahead misses the fallen man. It takes its hoof into the moss. Like lightning, it turns, but before it can charge, Tarzan, knife in hand, drops on the brute's leathery back. Up and down the bronze arm flashes, and it's over. Otto the boar is dead. Thanks. Thanks. My rifle jam. Once again, I owe you my life. Armageni, Avon Bundle, Horta. Tarzan points to the bullet hole in Horta's shoulder. Clayton shakes his head. Sorry, old man. I don't understand. Uh, we were running short of meat. Uh, uh, boar. Uh, eat. 
Clayton points to the carcass and then to his mouth. Tarzan understands. He nods his head, bends down, and with never an effort, hoists the dead boar to his shoulder and takes to the trees, followed by the indignant chatter of disturbed and scolding monkeys as he carries his burden through the high branches toward the hut. Tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' exciting book. <laughs> Deep in the forest fastness, Tarzan sits on the hollow mound of earth that is the dum-dum of the great apes. Majestically, he presides over the tribal meeting of his brothers, the apes. Before him comes Tana, whimpering. Tana complains that Gunto, her mate, has bitten her on the side. You're on, Gunto. Tarzan asks Gunto what he means by biting Tana. The great ape sidles slowly toward Tarzan. Gunto complains that Tana is lazy. She will not bring him beetles, will not scratch his back. She's gone from the tribe for hours at a time. In short, she's not paying sufficient attention to the mate who protects her in times of trouble. Gunta Mita Jatak Tana! Tana Grega Gunta! Hafim Katemo! Tarzan lectures them both on their duties toward one another. Tana must mend her ways, and Gunto must not bite Tana anymore, or else Tarzan will give him a taste of the gleaming knife the apes fear. <laughs> Gunto growls deep in his throat and ambles away. Tana whimpers and retires to the shade of a spreading tree. Before the feet of justice shuffles Mungo, an old ape whose fighting days are past. Through toothless gums he mumbles that Takla, the sullen brooding ape who recently killed one of Bulgani's tribe, is missing from his haunts. Ludon Makor Bulgani! Tarzan questions the old fellow, but Mungo can give no further information. Tarzan calls aloud to the tribe, asking for information of any who know of Takla's whereabouts. But none can tell him. Tarzan's brow wrinkles in meditation. Once before, Takla had run amok and left a trail of devastation in his wake. The apes are silent as they see their leader lost in thought. Quickly, Tarzan dismisses his thoughts and signals the next complainant to step forward. <laughs> While Tarzan presides at the apes' council, 
Jane Porter, her father, Clayton, and Philander discussed the ape man as they strengthened the defenses of their hut. I think this is the most extraordinary thing I ever saw, or even heard of. It certainly is. The ejector jammed on my rifle just as I was ready to fire the second shot at the boar. Well, the brute charged. I caught my foot in the vine, and before the boar could get to me, this fellow, whoever he is, landed on the animal's back, and in 30 seconds it was dead. But the thing that puzzled me is, why did he bring it here? I, I felt like a fool trying to talk English when all the time I knew he didn't understand me. So I pointed to the boar, then opened my mouth, and made pretense of eating. Well, sensible, I'd call it. Then what? Then he pointed in the direction of the hut, picked up the kill, and disappeared in the tree. I had been inside the hut, doing... I don't remember what... And I went to the door to see if you were coming. Well, there, I found the boar. And in about ten minutes, you arrived. Did you see him? I can't be sure. I suspected, but I can't say why, that our jungle friend had brought it. I looked up into the trees. And for a moment, I thought I saw a face. But an instant later, it was gone. So I couldn't be sure. In all probability, it was him you saw. Evidently, while he doesn't mind helping us, he objects to being seen. That, I think, is natural. We've invented his retreat and... While he doesn't altogether like it, he tolerates it. Yes, Jane. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, by the way, where's your father? <laughs> Mr. Philander closed up the chinks in the hut, as you suggested. And then he and Daddy went off to fetch water. They ought to be back any minute now. Did they take rifles? They took a rifle. I suggested that one act as a lookout. I was afraid that if they both took rifles, they'd both get shot, if that is possible. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere, I, I can't be sure where at the moment, I have read that when two people are, are carrying an object, if they will only break step, they will find the load easier to bear. Yes, yes, Professor. But in this instance, assuming for the sake of argument that a bucket of water is an object, I assure you that the difference in our respective statures would offset that benefit. Hello, Daddy! Sample is back with luck. We'll have roast boar for dinner. Splendid, my dear. Oh, it's heavy. Uh, where shall we put this this water? On that stand, the one in the corner. Sample made it last night after you were asleep. Uh, wonderful. Wonderful to have the stamina of youth. My, my, that, that slight exertion in carrying the water from the spring has quite exhausted me. Most remarkable. Well, you sit down and rest. There's a dear. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, I will sit down. Oh, 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 oh Daddy, Daddy. Are you hurt? Professor, pride always goes before a fall. Mr. Philander, can't you assist Daddy? Preposterous, Philander. You, you, you. I think perhaps I'd better assist Clayton. Well, if you will, Philander. I, I would like to get this fishnet completed and placed in the stream tonight. By all means, tell me what you wish done. Well, if you hold this straight while I weave the strings for the net. Delighted. I'm sure I don't know what we would do without you, Cecil. Oh, don't mention it. Why, being comfortable, being fed, and being safe is as much my concern as anyone. Nevertheless, without you, things would not be so... so... well, I wouldn't feel so safe. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, Philanta... I've been thinking about... Oh, Daddy, we forgot to tell you. Cecil saw... Well, in spite of the fact that he doesn't speak English, I still feel that he is Tarzan of the Apes. Uh, you, you saw him again, Clayton? Yes. In fact, he killed and brought that boar to the hut. Extraordinary fellow. Did he talk this time? Yes, but I understood as little as before. 
However, this time I did make myself understood by signs. Yes, Daddy. If Cecil hadn't made himself understood, we would probably have had to go without our board. <laughs> well, now our fish net is finished. I think I'll go and set it. Uh, we might have fish for breakfast. Oh, splendid, Cecil. Fresh fish is going to be just too delightful. Of course, we don't know that it will work as yet. Oh, I'm sure it will. Will we have speckled trout or, um, or smallmouth bass for breakfast? Well, I'm not so sure that I know just exactly what sort of fish there are in this part of the country. I'm sure that any kind of fish will be most acceptable. By the way, do you suppose we could do some fishing? Well, that's an idea. I- I'll have to fix up some sort of hook and line, and we'll try it one day. Well, I'm not at all sure that I like the idea of your going off in that small boat. Oh, that's in the future, Jane. Well, cheerio. I'm off to place my net and set my trap. I'll see you later. Be back in time for dinner now. I will. Ah, splendid fellow. Yes, indeed, Professor. Exemplary bearing. Due regard for his elders. Hallmark of breeding. Yes, he is. He lives up fully to all the traditions of the great uh, If I were a believer in predestination, I should indulge in innumerable speculations as to what chance led Clayton here to the hut, uh, built so many years ago by his uncle, Lord Greystone. Good heavens, Professor. Would you indulge in idle speculation in the very thing you deny? No, no. Uh, but it's most difficult, Sir Philander, to be wise all the time, isn't it? Uh, just the same... Just the same, Daddy? Uh, just the same, my dear. Uh, one cannot help wondering... No, it's just possible that the safari that Cecil was on his way to join will pass this way. Uh, a slender hope, my child. I, I wouldn't dwell on it. No. no. Cecil said I should not think of it. He said I would go. Barney, I would believe was what he said. <laughs> Most extraordinary. The expressions these Englishmen employ. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, Philander. Barney, yes, sir. Now, what etymological root or, or structure could possibly have led such a conception being placed upon a word which is so very precise in its original meaning? Barney. Just the same. The word conveys what it is meant. And after all, that's the important thing. Uh, yes, yes, of course, Jane, of course. Now we need some fruit. You know, I think I'll pick some while Cecil is setting his net and traps. Perhaps your father and I had better go with you. I know you uh, don't have to go far, but still... Very well, then. Come on. Uh, uh, just a moment, my dear. Now, now, where did I put my helmet? Uh, where did I put my sun helmet? Now, wh- wh- where did I put my, my helmet? Did, did any of you see my helmet? <laughs> <laughs> why, it's on your head. <laughs> oh, oh, why, why, so it is. Come along, Daddy, and close the door. We don't want to find a lion in the hut when we get back. As Jane Porter, her father, and Philander go in search of fruit, Turquoise, a bull ape, banished from the tribe by Tarzan, watches. For days, Turkos has wandered aimlessly, nursing his spite and looking for some weak thing upon which to vent his pent-up anger. Swinging from tree to tree, the man-like beast sees Jane Porter a few steps in advance of her father. Silently, the hairy brute moves out on a low-hanging limb. Noiselessly, he drops to the ground in front of Jane. With one sweeping movement of his hairy arm, Turkos gathers Jane to him and loops into the trees. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silver age heroes. 
Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' exciting book. Because the bull ape vanished from the ape tribe of Kerchak drops unseen from the trees. Jane Porter, horrified, terror-stricken, finds herself in the brute's hairy arms. She kicks and beats the beast. Her struggle is useless. Turkhard sweeps her off her feet and carries her into the lower branches of a giant tree. Porter and Philander stand petrified, unable to grasp what's taking place before their very eyes. They see the ape, they see Jane, but so utterly unbelievable. So fantastic is the scene, they can't grasp its horror. Jane! Clayton Porter and Philander flash their way through twisting pine and tearing thorn. 
leaps down from the treetops, flashing behind the dense screen of Virgil drops Tarzan. The ape man's strong, accurate fingers grasp branch and vine, touch them a bare second while the keen eyes find the next hold. Clayton Porter and Philander break through the underbrush, force their way deeper into the jungle. Tarzan, quickly, silently, alert, listening for another scream, drops hand over hand to the jungle floor. He raises his head. His nostrils quiver. He turns to face the breeze, trying to catch some trace of Jane's scent for to satisfy himself that it really was she. For a moment he stares at the ground below, then the trees above. The ape in him, by virtue of training and environment, tells him the entire story as plainly as if he'd been present at the girl's capture. Again he scents the humid jungle air. It was she! Tarzan glances quickly at a bow where a caterpillar has been crushed by Turkos's brutish foot. Instinctively, he knows where the same foot would touch in the next stride. His eyes gleam as he thinks what he'll do to the mighty Turkos when he catches him. And with the speed of a lance, he disappears in the tortuous pathway of the ape's trail. Jane's screams fade in the distance. The short tropic twilight is already upon the jungle. Professor Porter, Clayton, and Philander stumble headlong into the ever-creasing blackness of the jungle. Come on. Can't keep up with me. I'm going on alone. Wait. Wait, Clayton. I'm coming as fast as I can. Just the same. I'm going on. What can we do? I I, I can't think, Clayton. I, I can't heal her. She must... Come on. We're wasting time. But, Clayton, we haven't the faintest idea of where we are. We can't hear Jane. If we see her, what am I to do, Professor? Uh, what, uh, what, what do you mean? Am I to shoot? Yes. Yes. Shoot. I don't know, but... I think I recognize this part of the jungle. Oh, it all looks so much alike, but then the problem uh, yes, might be... Yes, Clayton, it, it looks all so much alike. Just as you say, since Jane's private stopped, we, we have the least idea of where we're going. I'm sure that the last scream we heard was over this way. To the left, I mean. Oh, that's just the trouble. Our sense of direction is gone. Completely. I would have sworn that the last scream came from the right. Then you suggest, Clayton... But we separate and, and, and search individually. That is a sensible suggestion, Professor. And if either of us find anything, we'll fire a rifle. All right. But be careful. Why, we're right on the edge of the clearing. Well, here, here's the hut. Uh, then, Philander, uh, we simply blundered around in a circle. Almost silently, the ape-man swings through the trees toward Turkos and his prey. Turkos's keen ears catch the faint sound of pursuit. At last, overtaken, he drops down into a small open blade and turns to defend his prize. He sees that his pursuer is Tarzan, his seated foe. Tarzan sounds like a leopard in the Jane Porter, her body flattened against the tree, watches, speechless. She stares at Tarzan, then at Turkos. Horror, fascination, fear, and admiration mingle in her staring eyes as she watches the circling pair. Tarzan leaps! So does Turkos! Like two trying to get each other's throats. Turkos reaches out his long, hairy arms. His claw-like hands seek a deadly hold. Tarzan sidesteps, bends low, the brute's arm passes over his head. Now the ape man lunges forward. He's outside the great ape's sweeping arm. Tarzan's fist lands with terrific force in Turkos' face. Turkos turns. Again, that death-dealing reach. Again, with the speed of a striking stake, Tarzan's left arm flashes up and down, in and out. The gleaming blade of the hunting knife sinks again and again, deep into the heart of the maddened ape. Turkos, lifeless, slumps to the ground. Tarzan places his foot on its neck, beats his broad chest with his clenched fist, and raises his face to the sky. Deepening darkness enfolds the jungle. Clayton, Philander, and Professor Porter 
convinced of the futility of searching further, have entered the hut. Uh, I shall lie down now and try, try to sleep. Early tomorrow, as soon as it's light, I shall take what food I can and carry it and continue my search until I found her, my little girl. I won't return without her. I shall go with you, of course. And count on me also. I knew that you'd offer your assistance, Clayton, and, and you too, dear old friend, Philander, but you mustn't. Jane, Jane is beyond needing our help. I simply go because what else can I do? But, Potter, I don't know what to say, but, but what good would it do? Go off there in, in the jungle, it's suicide. It can't do Jane any more good. What you say, Clayton, is true, but to leave her out there, not to make any effort to find her... Then I'll go with you. And Porter, my dear Porter, you cannot deny me the privilege of friendship. I'll go with you. Ah, no, no, it, it is I alone who may go. She is, was my daughter. All that was left on earth for me... To love. I shall go with you. Clayton, I... I... I claim the same right. I, too, love Jane. Clayton, give me that rifle. What? What? I'm going to search. Now, Philander, come over here. There's nothing to be done now. We'll soon be dark. Horses right. Jane is beyond aid, and with, with what we'll have to hunt for tomorrow, and what we'll have to do when we find Jane, well, well, we'd better rest. But Clayton... You are the impossible. We can't rest. I can't. Now can we do here? Comfort Porter? Impossible. No, no, Glenn. All there is left to do is wait until daylight. As Tarzan's call of victory echoes through the jungle, Jane Porter, speechless, almost hysterical from sheer fright, springs forward with outstretched arms. Tarzan holds the shaking girl to him with one bronze arm and soothingly, caressingly runs his hand over her hair. The ape man doesn't know what to think. Already he's spoken to the men of the party, and they don't understand him. So why should this white she? All he can do is quiet her terror, much as he would one of the little apes of the tribe who has so narrowly escaped the gleaming fangs of Numa the lion or Saber the lioness. Jane Porter stirs in his arms, frees herself from his grasp. Oh, how, how can I thank you? That's deep. No, I can't even think of it. Tarzan shakes his head. A look almost pathetic comes to his eyes. I wish you could speak English. Who are you? Who can you be? Again, Tarzan shakes his head. Kiesu. No? There is you see. No? Tarzan looks helplessly at Jane Porter. She steps back a pace and takes Tarzan by the arm. Well... You understand my French and German just about as well as they did in Paris or Berlin. Why, why your skin is white. White skin. Tarzan taps himself on the chest with his closed fist. White skin. White skin. The ape man repeats the phrase and then points to Jane. Jane. Jane! Jane! White skin! 
Starting as large as 11 dollars per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's f-e-n-i-x media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. Tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. When the crew lands, they, we, all of us will search. And the more I think of it, 
More I'm inclined to the belief that Jane may be alive after all. Uh, Clayton, Clayton, what do you mean? Ordinarily, I think, an ape would kill right away. Yes, yes, I've been thinking the same thing. And we heard Jane screaming for some considerable time. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Well, all that I mean is that if the ape did not kill Jane right away, why should the brute have killed her later? Uh, Clayton, you may be right. Uh, let us hasten to the headland and watch. I'll postpone my searching until the crew lands. If they do... Come, Ben. Hurry. Hurry. I'll go ahead as fast as I can. You follow me. And don't forget your right. Like a huge yellow silken scarf, the morning fog hangs in the jungle treetops. Tarzan, lying on a platform of twisted branches, waits on Jane, still sleeping in the leafy bower the ape man has built her. Tarzan would like to go to the waterhole, but a rustling of leaves. The silken sheen of Sheeta's coat glints for a moment behind a clump of bamboo. Ah, Tarzan shakes his head. To leave Jane here to the doubtful mercy of the jungle? Oh, where am I? What happened? Oh, now I remember. Jane Porter crawls out from under the rude shelter, looks at Tarzan. Tarzan moves toward her. Jane. 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 Tarzan tries to take Jane in his arms, but the terror of the day before has faded, and the girl repulses him. Tarzan can't understand. Yesterday, this she, Jane, had rushed to him for protection. Today, when he tries to comfort her, Jane beats the ape man's chest with her clenched hands. Let me go, you here. Let me go. Let me go. Tarzan releases her. He can't understand the words, but the meaning. Yes, she is afraid. Tarzan wonders. Is it the knife? He takes it from his rude sheath and hands it to Jane, took first, much as one of his ancestors might have presented an honored blade. Jane hands back the knife, laughing. <laughs> no, no, white skin. You keep the knife. Knife? Knife? Yes, knife. You, white skin, keep knife. White skin? Knife? White skin, keep knife. Jane presses the knife into the ape man's hands as she repeats the words. Her hands eyes brighten. White skin, keep knife. That's it. White skin, keep knife. Tarzan points to his mouth, then moves his lips, and at the same time pats himself on the stomach. Yes, yes. Game hungry. Eat. 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 Tarzan moves his lips as he says the words after her. Game hungry. Eat. White skin, hungry, feet. You got it. You got it, white skin. Oh, you learn quickly. Tarzan picks Jane up in his arms. This time the girl doesn't struggle. And with a series of graceful, effortless jumps, Tarzan carries her from one broad branch to another, now to a rocky ledge, and down to the ground. He puts her gently on her feet points rapidly several times to the base of a tree and disappears into the jungle.
moment fear assails Jane. In every sound, she hears a further menace. Every darting shadow is some fresh, fearful thing. Even the chattering of friendly monkeys sends her heart fluttering. from the water hole are no longer distant but terrifyingly near. What if white skin should not come back? She covers her ears with her hands as if by this action she could prevent from happening the thing she dreads. She stands motionless, fearing the slightest movement might attract some animal. Each minute seems like an hour. She hears the rustle of leaves above her. She's ready to flee. A branch crackles and... Tarzan, his arms piled high with luscious fruits of the jungle, stands before her. Oh, oh I'm so glad you've come. I was so... Frightened. Frightened? Frightened. Tarzan lays the fruit at her feet and points to it. Frightened? Jane shakes her head, picks up a cluster of black cranberries. No. Food. Food? Yes. Jane, hungry. Eat food. White skin. Hungry. Eat food. And seating himself beside Jane... Tarzan leans back against the tree and prepares to enjoy to the full his breakfast. Offshore, the crew of the French cruiser searched the coastline for signs of life. Clayton is at the beacon as Porter and Philander follow behind. Philander, uh, 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 now that you and Clayton uh, believe that there is some, some slight hope that my Jane is still alive... I, I feel... Yes, yes, Archimedes, what? I feel guilty not to go now at once into the jungle instead of remaining here at the headland. Yes, of course, Professor, but... But you realize that to go off into the forest now means, in short, that you'll perish. Should we find Jane, as I hope we will, then what will we say to her when she finds you gone? Yes, I suppose you're right, and yet... I know, Professor, your duty to Jane, if she's still alive, is to look out for yourself. And, my dear Porter, if she's gone, then, well, what difference will a few hours make? I know that I must sound brutal and, and too practical, but, Porter, you must be right. You're right, Philander, always right. There is much w reason and wisdom. In what you say, Porter, Philander, uh, 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 what, uh, what is uh, it? Those uh, confounded monkeys have demolished the beacon. Uh, uh, we'll have to gather more twigs and brush. Uh, uh, then, then we'll set about that task at once. Uh, come, Philander. Uh, I'd like to start the fire now, but in this glaring sunlight, I doubt if the crew would see it. And it takes a decent-sized fire to burn the damp moss. Damp moss, Clayton? Yes. It's not the fire, but the smoke. Uh, and here, here, Clayton, there are some twigs. Oh, that's yes. fine, Professor. Fine. This, this way, Professor. There seems to be quite an accumulation of dry brush here. Oh, right, right, right there. Coming, Philander. Coming. coming. Uh, just, just a little more, and, and we'll be all set. There seems to be some activity aboard the steamer. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. Let's hurry. The, the pirate ship. Our ship seems to be putting about. You think they've decided that we are no longer here? So we must... Yes, we, yes we'll have to jump. Lighting the fire, I You hurry with some more branches.
Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' astounding book. Come now, Professor. There's still a chance they'll see our signal. Uh, yes, yes, I, I know. Perhaps they... Uh, uh, look, look, Clayton. They see us. They see us. Look, look. Just swinging out of boots. I told Professor, you're right. They've seen us. See, they're putting a small boat over the side. Clayton... Can you tell what nationality the cruiser or, or gunboat is? I can't be positive, but from her color, she's either British or French. Uh, it must be French. Don't you recall, Clayton? A few days before the sailors mutinied, we saw a French cruiser. You're right, Professor. We did sight a French cruiser. And if we'd only known what was in store for us... Yes, yes, how different. Oh, my daughter, my, my lovely little Jane. If, if only... Now, now, Professor, bear up. In a few minutes, a very few minutes... We will all be searching. I'm convinced in my own mind that Jane is alive. Yes, yes, in fact, I'm convinced you were both mistaken about her captor. And that it was that jungle fellow who carried her off into the tree. But Clayton, I saw the ape. You were distraught. You were hardly conscious of what was taking place. No, I'm uh, sure that that... Clayton, why should the jungle man rescue us, Philander and me, save you, and kill the lion that attacked Jane? Only to end up by harming her. Possibly from his standpoint, he has no intention of harming her. All this is supposition, mere conjecture. Meanwhile, the boat swung out and we have quite a long way to go to get to the beach. Right you are, Philander. 
flying. Why, they're close enough to see now. They are French, I'm sure of it. Come, Professor. Philander, the sooner we get to the beach, the better. Back in the jungle, Jane, Porter, and Tarzan finished their breakfast. To Jane, the jungle has changed overnight. No longer is it a place of inexpressible dread. No longer does her blood run cold at the rasping cough of the panther, the deep-throated growl of new mother lion, or the weird laugh of Dango the hyena. True, Jane is not altogether comfortable, but with white skin, as she calls Tarzan, close at hand, dangers seem less dangerous, and fear gives way to interest. The girl is puzzled. She does not know that white skin is Tarzan, and she wonders about Tarzan. Over and over, her brain tells her that she must get back to the hut, but her heart, her heart whispers that were it not for her father, she wouldn't care about it. She turns and looks at Tarzan stretched beside her on the moss-covered roots of the tree. The ape-man's finely developed muscles ripple under the bronze, satiny skin of his every movement. Mentally, she compares him with the men of her acquaintance. Presently, she leans forward. Quite skin. Tarzan looks up. Jane? Jane? She looks at him for a moment, then rising to her feet, she points off into the jungle in the direction she believes the hut to be. Quite skin. We must go. Tarzan rises and looks in the direction indicated by her pointing finger. He looks at Jane. Go? 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 Yes. Jane, go. Jane, go. White skin, go. She takes a few steps toward, as she believes, the hut. Jane, go. White skin, go. Tarzan holds her back. He shakes his head. This is beyond him. In that direction lies Munger's village, and certainly this white she knows nothing of these black men that eat their kin. A thing the great apes do not tolerate. Jane stops. Again she points. Jane, go. White skin, go. Vigorously she nods her head while repeating the two words. Tarzan slowly shakes his head. How to tell Jane that in that direction lived the cannibal Gomangani? He takes her hand in his, lifts it to his mouth, and pretends to bite her arm in an effort to tell Jane that the savages are cannibals. Hungry! Eat! Jane! He points to the village, the direction in which he had started to go, and shakes his head. Hungry! Hungry! Eat! Jane! Tarzan does not understand the word, but the horror in Jane's voice convinces him that she knows what he means. He points again in the direction of Munger's village and slowly, emphatically shakes his head. Down on the beach, below the headland with its flaming beacon, Clayton, Philander, and Porter watch with mixed emotions the small boat pulling for the shore. Yes, Professor, they are French. That's the French naval officer getting out of the boat now. Uh, the, the mere sight of him gives me renewed hope. I'm sure our troubles are over now. Here he comes. Monsieur Clayton, I presume. Yes, Lieutenant. And you? Lieutenant Darnot of the French Navy. Thank heaven you come. And I hope. In time. In time. What do you mean? First, permit me to present you to Professor Popper. Charming, monsieur. And uh, this is Mr. Philander. Pleasure, monsieur. Oh, Lieutenant. If you will but help us. May we of a certainty, but please explain. Miss Porter, the professor's daughter, was carried off yesterday by an ape. Mon Dieu. An ape? It is impossible. C'est incroyable. Oh, it is too horrible to contemplate. Ruth did not kill her at once. 
We heard her scream several times. Therefore, we feel that it may not yet be too late. Ah, Monsieur Darnel, you will, will, you will help me to find, to search for my child. Oui, oui, Monsieur, but certainly. Monsieur Le Capitaine Dufresne will be ashore presently, and ah, here is Le Capitaine now. Mon Capitaine, Monsieur Clayton. Monsieur. Monsieur Philander. Monsieur. Et le Professeur Potter. Monsieur, it is a pleasure to know that we have arrived in time to be of assistance. Mon Capitaine, pardon, but we have not arrived in time. The gentleman has just informed me that the daughter of Le Professeur Potter has been carried off into the jungle by an ape. An ape? Monsieur, c'est arrive. C'est impossible. Allons, mes enfants. You have heard. The daughter of Monsieur Le Professeur has been taken into the jungle by an ape. Who will volunteer? Allow me, Dofo. Every man is volunteer so kind. Explain quickly. Mr. Philander saw the thing. Oh, Miss Porter, the briefing fruit. Not his part, that the ape did. The gentleman heard her scream. A, uh, an hour or longer. I'm not kill at once. Uh, Monsieur B. Allah. Uh, yes, yes, thank you. We start. Oh, I must talk that you should ask. We shall start at command. You will, uh... Play from your mass! Lieutenant, we'd better go to the hut first. The hut. It is far from the place of... Bien. Too much time, Dono. Uh, monsieur? A rather... St- a man. I think... I think he goes through the trees more quickly than a monkey. Sounds like it, I know. But true, very bronze, and we, Professor Paul, saw him kill a lion single-handed. And not an ape. Abducted. No vage? Yes. A fan more powerful than one has ever seen before. But I couldn't help overhearing... Young Clayton... You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' dramatic book. Tarzan watches the column of flame-licked smoke curling upward. The hut, his hut, he thinks to himself. For a moment he's torn between two desires. Whether to go at once to the hut or to return, and he stops. He has no words with which to tell Jane what he wishes to do. Go to the hut he must. It is his. Next to Jane Porter, he values it above all else. It was there that he learned that he was a man and not an ape. There, too, is the little book he cannot read. Lord Greystoke's diary. Tarzan does not know it, but that diary is the only thing which can prove him to be the true heir to the Greystoke title to the States. Tarzan looks down from the treetops, down to where Jane Porter is hidden by the dense screens of tropic green. Limb to limb, branch to branch, he flashes downward. He thrusts aside the matted verdure and stands before Jane. What is it? What is it? What is it, Mike Tarzan looks at her. He understands only the last words. 
What was it Jane had said when she wanted to start off in the direction of Mongers? Go. Go. That was it. He points toward the steadily rising shaft of smoke. White skin. Go. White skin. Go. Never before had Tarzan so wished that he could express his thoughts. Furiously, his mind gropes for something, anything that will indicate to Jane that he will return. Jane senses his excitement, feels the chill fingers of fear grip her heart. To be left alone? She touches Tarzan's arm. Don't go. Don't leave me. Please. Fight him. Tarzan holds the shaking girl close. If only he could speak, reassure her that he would soon return. You can't leave me here alone. Oh, I know you can't understand what I'm saying. But you must understand what I mean. Without a word, Tarzan lifts her into his arms. He places one arm about her waist and, reaching above, pulls himself to a higher branch. Jane closes her eyes. She feels herself being carried up, up, up to the very loftiest branch of a jungle giant. Tarzan shakes her gently. She opens her eyes. On every side, the treetops hedge her in. For miles and miles, as far as the eye can see, nothing but waving spires of green dancing in the shimmering heat waves. Tarzan points out the smoke. Look! Fire! 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 Jane nods her head. This, then, is why he wants to go. Again, Tarzan points to the billowing gray column. Then he taps himself on the chest. White skin! Go! Fire! But you'll come back! You'll come back quickly! Tarzan looks at Jane. Can it be that she is saying what he cannot tell her? He stretches his hand out and then slowly brings it toward him and places it on Jane's head. Come back! Quickly! White skin! Go! Fire! Come! Back! Quick! 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 Yes! Yes! That's what I said! Oh, if I only knew that you understand what it means! I'm so afraid to be left alone! Jane covers her face with her hands and Tarzan, understanding the action, gently pulls her hands away and looks into her eyes. Holding the trembling girl with one bronzed arm, the ape man gently strokes her wavy hair. And then, satisfied that she understands, he holds her tightly and swings down into the denser foliage. Jane opens her eyes to find herself back on the platform in the trees. Tarzan lowers her gently. White skin, come. Back. Quick. 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 Yes. Quick. Tarzan looks down at her for a moment. He leans forward, places both hands on her shoulders, and then... Bending quickly, he lightly touches her hair with his lips, and in a flash disappears into the trees. Meanwhile, the search party under Lieutenant Darno's guidance has wound its way deeper and deeper into the jungle, up to the very edge of the clearing in which Tarzan killed Turkos. Monsieur Clayton, I am afraid. I do not know what to say, but you think that further search is useless. We shall search as long as you desire, but... Night will soon be upon us, and I do not see any prospects of accomplishing anything after that. What you say is true, Dardo. But how can we tell Porter? What's that? They must have found something. Something under that bush? Yes, yes, Porter. Is it? James Hanks. Where? Under this bush. Hey, hey. Look. Probably dragged off by the hyenas. A dead ape. The jungle scavengers have not demolished the remains of this ape altogether. And, uh, wait a moment till I make sure. Oh, Porter. Professor Porter. Uh, yes, Philander. Your advice. Look. Ah. Why, I, I see. That, yes, Philander. Yes, this ape has been killed by a knight. Exactly. The ape's hide is cut and slashed severely, just below the heart. Then our jungle man evidently did for the ape. But Clayton, if he has, 
I feel sure that he'd have taken Jane back to the hut. Name by name. Look here. See where this stream has made the ground soft and muddy. Footprints, human prints. Then it certainly was Tarzan of the Apes. If that fellow is Tarzan. Uh, but I understand uh, Tarzan can talk English, and Jane would naturally have asked him to take, take her back. But look, Monsieur Clayton, these footprints are almost in a straight line. Aborigine, in fact. But there are no Aborigines here. At least we have not seen any. I have been up and down this coast for ten years and have heard many rumors of a tribe of blacks somewhere in this vicinity. Oh, you alarm me, you alarm me. The, the Jane may have been rescued from the ape, only to fall into more brutal hands. Monsieur le professeur, I, I do not know what to say. Maitonnerre, I shall be brutally frank. These blacks are cannibals. Oh, then... There is nothing we can do. Wait a minute. We've not heard the beating of any drums which might indicate... Uh, uh, yes, we did heard the drums. Uh, Monsieur Pelondier, let's look at it. And oh, assuredly, Monsieur, of course, in a matter of days, one will have to rest. Eh? And night is the to the big cats who call for food. Then we'd better return to the hut. And await the landing of the supply. Oui, oui. and I will ask Monk at my host for more supplies. That's a threat. Bien nécessaire, monsieur. We are already overdue. Ten days we search for that ship of yours, and our stores are defunded. Now, if we walk into your blue, I think monsieur said, I think monsieur said, we will require more. I see. We Then back to the hut it will have to be. Then back to the hut it will have to be. He opens it, dipping his fingers into the familiar box. He feels the smooth side of the dash plate. 
Deftly, he emptied the arrows, slips the diary into the quiver, he scoops the arrows back into place again, and then strikes to the door. He sees Tarzan approaching the hut. He opens the door to put us across the clearing. Tarzan grants a his shoulder, leaps for a low-hanging but over his plate and raises his rifle. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!